To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? I uh, got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So uh, this week on the podcast, I have on Willie Schmidt. So you may know Willie from Pure Hunting on the Sportsman's Channel. Uh, he's done multiple seasons there and, and just tells a really good hunting story. And so it's kind of wild. You get to know these guys by watching their hunts and, and you kind of feel engaged in their hunt. And then, you know, you follow social media. But it's been really fun to be able to meet some of these guys and have a conversation with them. And, and Willie's just a great guy. I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know him. Uh, we had a couple talks leading up to the podcast and those went well. And then um, the podcast was just really fun. Uh, you know, we mix tips and tactics throughout the podcast, but, but Willie has, he has such a passion for hunting. And so really that's just what we get talking about. We, we talk about his start in the industry, which is fun, but then we just really talk about hunts that we've both done that we, that we both like. Um, uh, we've both done caribou hunts and he loves to elk hunt. He harvested his biggest bull to date last season. Um, we talk about goat hunting. Uh, he had a goat tag and I remember that episode it, it really resonated with me. It was just this extreme goat hunt that they did with their bow and arrows. Really fun one to watch. And so we talk about that quite a bit. And um, yeah, just a, a really fun podcast. So thanks to Willie for, for being on. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Everly Stock Packs. Um, so Everly Stock, they're just a great company that builds a great pack. Uh, packs the weight well. They build them durable. You know, in fact, I went to the to the factory or to the warehouse there that they operate out of and they have a warranty department and and there's hardly any packs in there and one guy kind of runs it uh, not even part-time just when he needs to get in there for a couple hours and, and fix something of course they stand behind their packs 100 percent but they just don't have anything go wrong with them they're they're built to be durable they're built to pack heavy loads um so so they really build a quality pack that's going to last for years I've been using their packs for a couple years and packed out well, at least a couple elk on them. Well, I guess two years, two elk, yeah. Um, two bulls and then um, some mule deer. And I, I packed out quite a few critters with it. And they've done really well for me. Um, I switched and went to some new packs this year. So I'm I'm trying out the Destroyer, which is um, their multi-day pack. They make a... a a battleship and then a destroyer. Um, so I think the destroyer is the lighter one, and uh, it's just good for multi-day hunts for like those those backpack muley hunts or elk hunting if you're going in for multiple days. Um, so I'm psyched to use that this season. And then um, I also got one their little big top, and it's just kind of an all-around pack. Can be used as a day pack. Um, can definitely be used as a, a multiple day pack in like a three to five day would be about right. I'm sure I could probably stuff six or seven days worth of stuff in it, but, um, it, it's just a, a great pack. It's one of their lighter ones. It's a soft frame on it. Um, I really like it. I've been using it shed season and been using it with quite a bit of weight and, um, it's been doing good for me. So, um, can't wait to, to try that out during hunting season this year. I'm going to be walking around with it spring bear here coming up. So anyways, Everly stock, great company. Um, thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. And, uh, 
over there at Eastman's, um, gosh, we're just cruising away. I can't believe it's mid-April already. Uh, it's just flying by. But, uh, yeah, been in touch with the guys over there. Uh, me and Ike did a podcast the other day together, which was fun. And, and uh, then I've, I've got one p- planned. I want to do another gear podcast where I really break down the, the gear that I'm using and, and what works for me and my preferences and options. So uh, I'm going to get together with Scott Reekers and record one of those coming up. But, um, yeah, just good thing. We're just all working hard and putting out the magazine, Beyond the Grid, uh, the podcast. and um, So, yeah, just a fun time of year. I can't wait to see these tags results come out. I'm just dying to know what hunts I'm going to go on. But, uh, anyways, it's coming. Uh, So, great podcast. Willie Schmidt and I, uh, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, I'm live here with Willie Schmidt from Pure Hunting. Willie, thanks a bunch for being on with me today. Oh, thanks a bunch for the opportunity, Brian. I've uh, been looking forward to this when uh, Scott reached out just because I've followed you through Eastman's for so long, and we have a couple mutual friends, and they all said that we we're sort of cut from the same cloth. So uh, I'm I'm anxious to uh, to partake and appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, and it's been fun just getting to know you a little bit, just getting ready for the podcast, our our phone communication, and um, just what you have going on and your start. So I've had a good time getting to know you already. So yeah, excited for the podcast. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so you're uh, pure hunting on the Sportsman's uh, channel, right? Yes, sir. Yep. And um, you guys are just getting ready to release your new season? Yeah, it'll start in July. We're a third and fourth quarter show, so it'll start... I don't know if it's the end of June or the very first week of July and uh, run for 26 weeks and it'll be season seven, which is hard to believe. Oh, congratulations. Season seven. Um, Boy, that's, it's tough to find that, that long-term success in the outdoor industry. And so, yeah, you guys uh, have obviously found the mix and um, I really enjoy your show and I, I think it's, it's just evolved and got better throughout the years. You do a really good job of telling the entire story. Well, I appreciate that. It's it's great hearing from objective uh, people like yourself because I mean that's that's what we all hope to do in anything we do in life is to build something and and have it be sustainable as long as it can. And when I started, you could have blown me over with a feather if if you said we'd be around seven years and and I'm planning on a season eight. Um, so I'd like to think it's some hard work and just doing things authentically, being who I am, and uh, it's obviously resonated both with um, with Fans, I guess, I always feel weird saying fans, but with viewers, let's say, and uh, and sponsor partners, just, you know, value what we're trying to do. Absolutely. Well, um, you're so comfortable in front of the camera, and you articulate the story so well that we feel like we're there with you. I remember, I think it was... Um, and I, I think it was like the goat hunt that I remember from a couple seasons ago it really resonated with me. Uh, it was just a great episode. That was um, you in Colorado, is that right? That is, yep. Okay. Yep. Good. I'm glad I remembered that correctly. I was just pulling that out, but I really remember that episode and how good it was. And um, and you were trying to harvest it with your bow too, right? Yeah. The the and and luckily we did. But you know, uh, most goat tags in Colorado are just a goat tag. You can use whatever whatever weapon you'd like. And my buddy Chris and I uh, drew archery only tags for that unit. So. You know, we didn't have an option as a backup if after a week we weren't finding success and getting close. And um, when I was scouting, or rather when we were scouting, I thought, boy, we're going to be lucky. I mean, you know goat country. You walk through sheep country to get to goat country. And 
And I thought we'd be lucky to come out of there with, with one and just what a fun adventure. It was the most physical and mental hunt I've ever been on. And, uh, beautiful part of the country at 13,000 feet. So it was, it was a very memorable hunt. And that's one thing I think that's so cool is, is getting to document these hunts and be able to relive it forever. Oh, absolutely. And be able to share it with family and friends. And like, you don't just come home and tell a story, like you're, you're able to show them the actual footage of being there. It just, it includes them in the whole process. So yeah, I've been, I've just got into it the last couple years, three, four years, but I've really enjoyed trying to capture it. And it's not, it's not as easy as it seems. Like I always thought I'd do these huge epic adventures and that'll show through on film, but it's really tough to tell that entire story when you're condensed down to 22 minutes uh, of just showing the highlights and and trying to show the feel of country so it, it's really challenging and and uh, that's that's why i'm so impressed by what you guys do uh, putting together all those shows every year and all quality shows well i appreciate that very much um it's what we try to do you know if you have we usually end up with 10 or 11 episodes a year you know everybody shoots for 13 and sometimes that's tough to do and and of those say 10 or 11 you're always going to have some some favorites um uh, just by whatever happens in the field. I mean, number one, the camera can't be rolling all the time, so it might miss some things. As you know, it's hunting, and animals aren't reading scripts. Mother Nature's not reading scripts. And sometimes you're lucky just to capture an opportunity, whether you're successful or not. And that may or may not be enough to, to be able to tell the whole story and uh, you know put it into an episode. So um, I, I think we've done a pretty good job, even if it's a – and I don't mean to downplay waterfowl or hogs or whatever, but it's – it's what I love to do and, and try to hunt as much as I can, whatever species, and, and try to tell a story with it. It's not just about getting out there and killing something. It's why are you here, who are you, and why do we, why do we care? What are you doing out there? Yes, um, yeah, and you have to to gel or mesh with the with the host as well, um, because he kind of takes you on a journey through his hunt, and so like like being able to see it through his eyes. I I feel like if you gel with the host, you know that's where they do the best. You, they can take you on the journey of the hunt, and you just let them kind of lead you through the hunt. I I really like that on hunting shows. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's how some of those shows are successful. Is people do resonate with the host, and I think that's the consistency, you know, some shows have a lot of pro staffers and whatnot, and every every show, every season has a whole host of different people, and it's hard to connect with any one of them because they're not on there very often. That's true. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Yeah, huh. Um, yeah, and so uh, you just got done with Season 7. Uh, what were, like, one of your favorite hunts from Season 7 that'll be coming out? Um, it was... A Utah archery elk hunt, and as you and I spoke, archery elk's my biggest passion. As a lot of, as you and I also talked about, you know, Western hunters are funny. We all, you and I included, hunt all different species, but we always resonate to our favorite for whatever it is. And archery elk is mine. But the cool thing about that story is that I actually won that tag in one of the raffles at the Western Hunting Expo last February. Um, so that in and of itself was a cool story because it takes – it's a limited area. It was the South Cash unit up in uh, northeast Utah. So number one, winning the tag was great. And then some of the folks that I got to meet, you know, the neat thing about limited units is a lot of people are willing to share information because you're not asking to go into their honey hole that they hunt every single year and know where the animals are and you won't be infringing upon. 
their annual hunt spot. So I got to meet some really neat folks, really resonated with uh, a guy, James Carlson, his buddy, Craig Olson, and, and James' brother, Tanner, and uh, ended up with a successful hunt at the time, my best archery bowl. Um, so it was, you know, winning the tag, meeting great people, and uh, having success in an area that I'd never been before. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, that's what uh, hunting's all about, it seems like. Uh, That's so great. Uh, Congratulations on the Great Bull. I can't wait to watch the hunt. Um, In those those special units, those things can be a lot of pressure, too, when you do have a good tag, whether it's drawn or won. Um, You you kind of feel the pressure that, you know, uh, uh, of being a good hunt, and you only get one chance at it. Like you say, you can't go back year after year, so you really have to make the most of it. So I found, too, that those special tags can have some pressure that go along with them. That's true. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you only have that one chance to make it count, whether it's a, a week or a full month, and and that's it for who knows how long. Yes. Um, yeah, that northeast um, Utah is gorgeous country. Uh, Do you find some just epic elk hunting back in there? It was pretty good, and it was uh, you know a good mix. There were some, some aspen and dark timber coolies, but there also were just some um, – and some rugged canyons. It wasn't the most rugged country, but just, you know, like you say, uh, limited in hunting pressure. I think we came across one other group of hunters that actually were road hunting deer, if you can believe that. Um, it's a limited elk unit. It's not so much a limited deer unit. And other than recreational people, you know, driving their side-by-sides and uh, ATVs and stuff like that, it was – we didn't hear another bugle that was a hunter. We didn't come across anybody else with a bow in their hand. Um, and so that, to me, just adds to the the beauty of the hunt. You know you know when you hear a bugle, it's an elk, and you don't have to worry about coming across or getting called in or calling in another hunter. Oh, yeah, that, that makes the experience, doesn't it? And that's a big part of hunting is, is just getting away from the crowds. It seems like you get deflated when you see boot tracks or you see another hunter. And, and a lot of times it doesn't mean that the hunt's over. And, and we do have to deal with, with multiple people recreating or multiple people hunting in the same area. But how nice is it when you can get away from them like that and you just have your own experience in the wilderness, you versus the elk. I, I really enjoy that. And that's what I strive for is just trying to get away from the pressure in any unit that i'm in but yeah that sounds like a cool experience and and not hearing you know especially with elk and when you're calling you know not having to worry about it being you know another human that's bugling or you see another hunter in there knowing that everyone that you hear is an elk that you can go chase with your tag uh that's pretty fun that sounds like a quality experience it was it really was and it was early in the year i was it was uh i think i started the hunt on august 19th and uh, just because I couldn't go when everybody would like to go, you know, the second week of September, that season went from August 15th to September 15th. So not as late as it might in Colorado. And I always figured the third week of September is the prime rut in Colorado bugling activity wise and had to go a little bit early just to some other conflicts. And I kind of expected to sit over water holes and maybe do some spot and stock hunting, just seeing where they were going. But, you know, if elk are unpressured, they're going to act like elk and um they were bugling it wasn't obviously a rut fest but they were responding to calls and uh on the fourth day i had four bulls within 40 yards um calling them in so they were they were acting like they're supposed to again i think because of the limited pressure wow that's amazing yeah i've i've heard elk bugle and seen a little running action in august 
Um, but yeah, I've never interacted with them or called them in at August. I like, I would think that would be too early as well. Like I, I always think like around September 5th, September 3rd is when they just start and the first couple cows start coming into estrus. But yeah, I guess those bulls would be staging and getting ready for it. But yeah, that's, um, that's good information. So you start, did you say you started hunting it on August 15th? Is that what you said? The season opened then. I couldn't start till the 19th. 19th, yeah, okay. Right, August 19th. Yeah, so four days in, the 23rd, you called four bulls into 40 yards. That's pretty amazing. I was I was flabbergasted, but in a very good way. That's always a – when they exceed your expectations in a good way is always a good thing. <laughs> that is a good thing, yes, for sure. Yeah, well, and just good you're getting responses and being able to call at them. And like you say, um, probably a lot to do with it is that low pressure and then um, like you – you said elk just being elk and they do uh you know when they're in their natural environment they they just go on their their own deal it's elk being elk you know so yeah how cool yeah i've I've never heard of that that early calling bulls in but you learn something every day well and yeah it just it was it was right i was also expecting just maybe to have them curiously coming in but silent you know and not bugling so it was that was a really really fun hunt it was a fun fall all the way around but that one um just again, because of the storyline. And I think we all like going to our um, favorite spots and the learning curves down and we return year after year. But I also think it's fun to learn a new area and get those experiences you've never had before. Just, you know, the planning, the prep, the research. And and if you're fortunate enough to to meet some people who are willing to help you out a little bit, um, sort of a do it with friends, not necessarily a do it yourself hunt, uh, even though you are hunting by yourself is is always it just adds to the uh, the adventure for me. Yeah, well, anytime you can share those experiences, and I I hunt solo too, but um, my favorite hunts are always with my buddies, or even just sharing the camp at night. You know, when you come back and share stories, and yeah, I think that really helps and adds to the experience as well. So yeah, anytime I get the chance, I'm always trying to share in those hunts, and especially with good people like that. So yeah, no, it sounds like a fun deal. Um, you didn't win the hunt again this year, huh? That you didn't go two for two. I didn't. I put in for all the same ones. Oddly enough, I think I I know at least three, if not four, people who did win tags there this year. Oh wow! Um, so it's it you know as they say you won't win if you don't play. Um, but uh, I know a couple of other people who won not that same unit, but won limited entry tags, which uh, they do a great job out there, and it's a ton of fun. I was hoping, you know, I mean. <laughs> they start they announce them online a week after the uh, the end of the trade show and everybody's online and my phone wasn't blowing up like it was last year so i figured i was probably unsuccessful and i was <laughs> <laughs> well uh maybe your luck will just come from a different state you're probably waiting for the drawings to see where you're going to hunt this year exactly it's you know we're right in the heart of application time now i unfortunately heard i was unsuccessful for wyoming elk um still going to put in for deer and antelope and have already put in for montana and colorado's applications are due august uh, august april 3rd so um yeah it's right in the heart now everybody says what do you have planned this fall and i don't know i'm waiting for those tags to come out and then see what opportunities there are over the counter in other states yeah likewise uh kind of getting a, a rough plan for my season and and then we'll kind of adapt and change as, as tags come in or don't come in, you know, and add some over-the-counter stuff. Well, yeah, no, you got um, uh, Dindron, Wyoming, and you said you put in for Montana, probably deer and elk combo there. Exactly, yep. 
Yep, and you're actually going to relocate, right? You've lived in Colorado for um, quite a while, and now you're going to relocate to Montana? Yes, my wife and I are going to move up there in August, Um, so still a resident of Colorado and playing my cards right the way I should, but I am looking forward to being a resident of Montana for next year and uh, all the opportunities that it provides um, as a resident. Yes. Well, um, so you're going to be talking about hunting new spots. You're going to be hunting some new spots in Montana. Have you hunted elk here before? I have. That's really all I've hunted other than some small game and have always been on the eastern side of the state. Um, I've drawn the Missouri breaks a couple of times, three times actually, and then uh, last year was a little bit east of Billings in uh, in still the eastern part but not the true breaks. Um, And I put in for that tag again this year, and it's about a 60% odds with no points as a non-resident but it's um god it's a fun hunt it's different terrain too over there it is and i've done that as well i've i've always hunted mountains and wilderness uh uh, mountains and and big back country and things for elk but yeah recently uh, uh like the last six or seven years i've been hunting some of that breaks country and uh eastern montana and other little isolated mountain ranges i mean there's just so many great places to see and i love to explore and i'm always I'm always looking for that next hot spot. But, yeah, I, I love that breaks. Boy, they sure got good populations of elk and a lot of mature six-points running around. And it's just such a unique, um, different terrain, topography, you know, the the breaks with deep coolies but lots of open, um, almost plains-like stuff and then pockets of trees in those canyons and breaks. It's uh, You can see for a long, long way, and you scan across, and you're like, there can't be any elk around here, and, boy, once they start bugling or all of a sudden you catch them out in the flat before they go drop into the coolies, you're like, they are out here. I mean, it's hard for us to remember that they were Plains game for a long, long time till the you know white man pushed them into the mountains. So that's right up their alley in those big, open, um, expansive uh, landscapes. Yeah, that, that broken country, like you say, it's coolie country. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's weird for us mountain guys too, because we're used to the mountains. You can kind of read feeding features and, uh, you know, north side bedding and you kind of get a feel for where the elk should be, where you should be looking for them. And out there, it's, it's just, it's all, it's all breaks and it's all broken open and almost all looks the same. And so you've got to start to dissect it. And like the way I've always hunted is a, a master vantage point that shows off all the country and you kind of look into it, find the elk and then go play on them. And, and over there I'd find those master vantages, but those elk just have a way of moving through that country where they don't get seen in the bottoms of those coolies and using the cover. And, and so you, you really got to just kind of make your way through the, the breaks country until you can locate some elk in there did you find that as well when you were hunting it that's almost exactly it yep yep still use your spotter if you can get up high enough but it really is you just got to have your head on a swivel because they can show up in an instant and disappear in an instant and if you're not um paying close enough attention at the and it's all about you know right place right time and if you're not looking in that spot you may think there's no elk around and they could be right under your nose Yes, there could be a hundred of them underneath your nose. It seems like they hide so well. Um, but yeah, and then and then in the breaks, it's kind of thought of as maybe a higher pressure spot. There's a lot of guys, you know, in the eastern part of the state that don't have anywhere to hunt elk, or the northern part, and so they kind of congregate in in those areas. And so they are a high pressure elk. I've noticed they don't call as good in that country. Is that what you found out as well? Yeah, my my experience is. Uh... And I've usually gone a little bit later, just um, into 
not last year, but the years I've really drawn the breaks up around um, the reservoir and everything, which is I'm on the, I've always drawn uh, the north side of uh, Fort Peck, but usually late October, they're still bugling and still rutting. But if you make a peep and you're within four to 500 yards of them, they will shut up and the bulls will gather their cows and take off. So I've found you can locate, but after that, you kind of need to be, you know, spot and stock almost within the real close range where then they might respond again. But otherwise, they're pretty call shy. Yes. Yeah, I've gone exclusively spot and stock when I hunt out in that country. Um, yeah, as it seems like the best tactic. But yeah, you, um, October are great dates to hunt out there as you're getting those second cycle cows that are coming into estrus that didn't get bred the first time. And uh, there's still great rut in action all the way to the end of the season till October 15th. And I actually like it out there better later because the pressure kind of wanes off. Everybody takes their time third and fourth week of September and kind of burns their vacation. And then it seems like I got that place all to myself in October, uh, which I've always liked. Absolutely. I do, too. And it's sort of, you know, Colorado's elk season is done then, and I don't know the other states quite as well, but Montana going through October 15th, there's not a lot else going on. To me, it's kind of a lull before the whitetail stuff really gets going or the mule deer rut um, and elk still rutting. So use that first couple weeks in October and continue to elk hunt. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Montana's great for that. And yeah, I haven't found many other states that go into that October season. Most of them are just in that September and then shut down. So yeah, Montana is always a good tag to have, I think, just because of that. And, and I've had great rutting action, you know, in the breaks, eastern side, and even in the mountains here in southwest, too, in October. And, and I think like my last four or five years or, or three or four years, um, I know for sure all my bulls have been October bulls. So yeah, October is my month. I always call it Rocktober. Rocktober. I love it. Yep. I so, love it. Well, and it, it does, it gives you a chance to explore and do some other states as well for elk or a lot of times I'll take muley hunting into about September 5th to September 10th. And so it just kind of gives me a chance to, to hunt other species or other states and, and then focus on Montana in October. So, yeah, I really like it. And that's kind of your biggest passion is uh, mule deer, is not? Yes, I I love mule deer. I love all things with my bow, but you you stated it so well in the beginning of the podcast that you have you kind of have those animals you gravitate towards that you're dreaming about all year and thinking and planning and scheming and it, it'd be hard to take uh to uh take me any place else like during that late September October when those elk are bugling hard. But yeah, I'd say my my real pa- passion and um. Uh, motivates me for training is that the mule deer and especially that high country mule deer. I just absolutely love chasing those things. That's awesome. That's yep. a ton of fun. Yeah. Well, and there's so many seasons too. I like the, the early high country stuff and they open early in those states like Nevada and Utah and then Colorado's got a great one. I'm hoping to go back to Colorado again this year. Um, and, and then you kind of hunt them early and then you, you hunt elk and then I love hunting them late too. Um, the pre rut and then the rut action is really good. And I'm able to hunt them out here in, in Montana. We get to hunt the rut. Um, it's a open general rifle season, but I always go out with my bow every year and chase them around during the rut. And I love that season as well. That's fantastic. Have, have you ever hunted, um, like South Dakota or any of the sort of more, uh, Western Plains states for muleys? Oh, um, so I need to. That's next on my list. I have checked off about every western state for muleys. Let's see. 
uh, from Idaho, New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, Nevada, Colorado, um, Wyoming. So I've hunted all the western states, but I've yet to go into North Dakota, South Dakota, or Nebraska or any of those. So that's got to be my next push. There's some good hunting to be had out there, isn't there? There really is. Um, I've hunted South Dakota. It's been about four years, and that is on my list to, to do this year. Number one for archery, it's it's almost a slam dunk. I don't even know if you need to apply because they do have leftovers. If you do apply, you're going to draw. And in the western part of the state, there's so much uh, public ground or walking ground that obviously is private, much like the BMAs up in Montana, private that they open up to the public. And you may only be able to walk in, no motorized vehicles or whatever, but there's just so many tracks. And, of course, with a bow, they're not really pressured much. And uh, and a lot of that where I've hunted, which is way in the southern part, um, kind of around White River, um, similar badlands breaky country and it's that's a ton of fun to chase those uh, muleys through there wow that sounds like it willie yeah um that i love that eastern part of montana where it kisses the dakotas there uh like you say that badlands country and just kind of broken up but i've I have fallen in love with that Eastern Plains. It's such beautiful country, and it it's so game-rich, too. There's so many mule deer that learn to live in that country and, and upland birds, and, and even elk now are pushing that eastern side of Montana. The elk populations are doing good as well. Um, but, yeah, that sounds like fun. i got to get in on some of that hunting. You should look into it, and, and I missed the chance last year, but it's like I said, I'm going to definitely do it this fall. Well, and especially when you're going to be located there in Bozeman, it won't be too far for you to travel as well. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How cool. Yeah, I've got to try that out. I love that Badlands hunting. Do they have um, pretty good seasons there? When did you head over to the Dakotas when you were hunting it? I would usually do it um, within the last 10 days of October into the first maybe day or two of November. Um, and it was a little bit of pre-rut. We, I did it three years in a row. And we had everything from uh, bachelor groups. There was one group of eight that I hunted for almost a solid um, five or six days. And then others where, man, those bucks were pushing those does around, and you could definitely tell the rut was on. Um, and a few solitary bucks, which obviously, from a bow hunter's perspective, are what you're really looking for. Less eyes, less ears, less noses to, to wind you. But that last week in October, my one of my main camera guys is the one who turned me on to that area. And, um, he's, he usually goes for his own, uh, in early October and has great success, obviously a little more bachelor up, um, with the bucks, but I think that whole month of October is good. Wow. Um, yeah, that, I love that, that pre-rut right at the end of October. I think a lot of guys sleep on that season. Um, you know, here in Montana, elk opens up like around, um, October 25th. And so a lot of guys will hunt elk for opener, but a lot of guys sleep on that late October first couple days in November. That's starting to be one of my favorite times to hunt mule deer just because, you know, kind of like that October elk season, like all the pressure's off. Nobody's out hunting them because they're all waiting for the, the peak of the rut. And you don't see as many bucks going crazy, like you look over groups of does, and not every group of does is going to have a buck with them, but you just end up turning up those bucks like you did. You turn up you know, solitary bucks, or you turn up a bachelor group, or you turn up a group of does, and it's got a great big buck, and they're already starting to think about the rut. So I, I love that early pre-rut season. Um, I'm really going to focus on that season this year. Absolutely, and you know, you could be on the uh, same group of does. You may see them two or three days in a row. 
nothing, and then you wake up next day and first light, all of a sudden that big buck's in with them. So, I mean, it can change overnight, and that's what's so exciting about that time of year. Yeah, and those bucks are really traveling country to look to to find those hot does or that right group or to stage for the rut. And so it just seems like they're starting to travel country and kind of – they kind of get out of their hidey holes that they've been in. You know, I always think of that after they shed their velvet through that October season is tough. And your buddy's done really well locating the bachelor groups at Bucks. Um, but that's always been, you know, my toughest season is after they shed their velvet around September 10th to September 15th to about October 20th is always the toughest time for me. But it, it just seems like their guard, they start to let down on their guard and start to travel more countries, searching for does and starting to stage for that rut. So, yeah, I just love that late October season. Well, we can stay in touch, and I'll I'll talk to you offline about South Dakota. It would be fun to maybe do a hunt together or at least turn you on to that so you could look into it on your own. But it's I know you would enjoy that hunt. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, thanks a bunch, Willie. You bet. Yeah. Um, so so what do you have planned for Season 8? I guess you got to see what tags you're going to draw and where you're going to go. you have anything set in stone you're really looking forward to? The the only thing I really know at this point, um, and I don't know the dates, but my daughter, who goes to Montana State, is uh, is doing some work for the uh, Wild Sheep Foundation, and she won a tag, uh, a mule deer tag in eastern Montana, oddly enough, as we've talked about, through her chapter um, that she's working on in school, and I'm going to go up and hunt with her. I may not have a tag with me, but she's going to get to go and experience um, – she's been – let me back up a second. She's been struggling. She she is hunting on her own up there. She's trying to learn the ropes like everybody and, and public land and as a student, mostly on the weekends, maybe a morning here or there and just experiencing some frustration with the pressure and not knowing the areas and trying to get help. But, of course, people being a little reluctant to give help, especially too many areas very close to Bozeman. So she'll get on this hunt to experience uh a little bit of a uh, less pressure situation, be around lots of deer, and uh, I'm really looking forward to going out and hunting with her on that hunt. But that's the only thing I know for sure. Oh, how cool. Yeah, that's um, that's the perfect hunt for it, too. The, the populations, eastern Montana, they did take a dip, but right now they're doing so well. And they there's so many of those older age class bucks, those four-, five-, six-year-old bucks, uh, you know, checking with the biologists and the game checks out there and then just my own personal experience, it's doing really well right now. So you guys ought to have a great hunt out there. I'm looking forward to it. And and just being able to take your you whether it's your son or your daughter, I know you've got two daughters and getting them in the outdoors. It's just so much fun to experience it and through them it almost rejuvenates you because, you know, we've both been doing it a long time and we both love it. But when you get to see it through a newer hunter's eyes, it just kind of re-energizes you yeah absolutely well and those um those girls they they learn so well like i'm sure some of those young boys do too and they have the passion and the drive but my my girls just pick up on on everything i tell them it seems like and my my daughter she's come so far just in their her first couple years of hunting i think she's been hunting three years now but that's what we do is uh we have our annual trip and we go out to eastern montana and she's so busy with uh basketball and volleyball track uh, archery you name it she does it 
And so it, it's always tough, but we schedule three or four days and then we load up in the truck and we drive across. It's like a five, six hour drive. And so it's just kind of me and her on this adventure hunt. And then we, we just camp out kind of by the truck and, um, she goes pretty hard, but I definitely have to watch and make sure I cater the hunt to her as she, as she is only 14. I don't want to burn her out, but, uh, we've, we just had great trips out there and, and she harvested a nice deer this year, which was really cool. Oh, very cool. That's got to be fun. Well, I'm looking forward to that that with my daughter. Yes. Well, and it's it's fun country to just go walk around and explore. It's um, that same sort of coolie country, and so it's not huge mountains that just absolutely kill you. It seems like you walk to the top of a coolie, and just about when you're getting tired, you make the top and you're you're over the other side. But it's it's fun country to explore with all the sandstone formations out there, and it's just beautiful country. Absolutely. And it's funny, I don't know about your daughter's, but mine is just such an outdoor junkie. She gets distracted very easily by just experiencing whether it's bird life or coyotes or finding a shed or, you know, seeing a bobcat or whatever it might be. Um, she gets distracted so easily. Sometimes it, I got to hey, focus. We're, we're, we're hunting deer. Be on your binos. You know, this is getting to be the magic hour. Focus on it for a little bit. But again, it's just so much fun that they're enjoying it that much instead of sitting there rolling their eyes, getting bored, wishing they were at home. Yeah, they they take it all in, which is fun to see. Uh, yeah, sometimes you got to shift the focus to hunting deer. <laughs> sometimes that's uh, when we're fishing too, or the staring at the mountains, and it's good to take it all in. But hey, make this cast this banks really good right here, whatever the case is, you know. That's right. Yeah. How about you? What do you have this fall? Do you know? Oh, uh, well, you know, I'm just starting to put my plan together, but um, it's been so fun. I've just been able to structure my life to just take more and more time during hunting season and commit more and more time to hunting season and, and hunting for myself, also hunting with family and hunting with friends. And so, man, I am so lucky and so fortunate. I get to just kind of take a leave of absence and, and uh, from the business, and, and so I'm going to – See, I think I'm going to start, hopefully I draw Nevada. It's been a couple years since I've been there, and I'm going to get real aggressive with my applications in Nevada because I love hunting there so much. And they have more little isolated mountain range in Nevada than any other state. And I've done really well there on on good early season bucks, and they, they open August 15th or August 10th in Nevada, excuse me. Um, so it's a real early hunt, and so... Um, I'm gonna gonna try to draw that. Hopefully, I draw a tag this year. They consider your your first five choices before they throw out your application, so you can put five units in, and then hopefully, I'll get one of those. So um, I'm gonna do that hunt, and and right prior to that, I'm gonna head up and do uh, caribou again up in Alaska. Are you great? Yeah. And I, I just do like I figured out this this blue collar kind of do it yourself caribou hunt that I did last year. And my buddy Chase lives in Fairbanks. And so I just pretty much get a plane ticket and then he's got a nice four wheel drive pickup and we load it up with gas and all our gear. And then we go hunt that hall road for caribou and kind of truck camp and then day hunt for those things. And there is just some world class caribou that are running off that hall road. And it's bow only five miles either side of the hall road or the pipeline right there. And there's rivers you can float, you can, you can get back into the back country and, and like take like a bivy camp. It's light for for twenty four hours that time of year. So you can just you can burn the candle at both ends. You can wear yourself ragged chasing those things around. But um that was really fun last year. So I'm saving my pennies and gonna go do that again. Are you was that the first year you'd ever done it last year? Yes, it was. The year prior I did a, a float hunt for Alaskan moose. 
And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was just like the even a do-it-yourself adventure, the float plane just got a little expensive. And by the time I added the whole trip up, it was just something that I just can't do every year and I've got to save up again. But, yeah, we had a great float trip and we saw – like 10 different bull moose and some of just the giants you dream about the 60 inch plus and and they just zigged when i needed them to zag um you know i had like four that were good shooters that i knew were legal but just couldn't get a get narrow into them and where i was hunting um up high they were migrating out of canada into alaska and so they were kind of moving through and even though we were the right dates for the rut they were trying to move into their rutting grounds and so it was pretty much spot and stock try to get in front of them and then as we got lower on the system they were making their their rutting grounds and starting to rut um but but just zig when i needed them to zag i had a a big bull that i called in one evening and i was calling like the last couple hours by camp and uh Bull moose just don't come in like bull elk. They can really take their time. And so I was calling in the afternoon, evening, didn't hear anything, and returned to camp and had a little campfire there, and it was dark. And all of a sudden, I hear this bull moose grunting. And he grunted on the other side of the river, crossed the river, came through our camp, and he was just a giant one I could see in my binos. And so we're trying to hide behind the tent so we could hopefully, you know, maybe get a chance at him in the morning, but never caught up with him. But just a an unreal experience. I'm so glad I did it. But it, it from that we were able to kind of figure out just this do it yourself kind of a, a cheaper hunt that I could do every season with my buddy Chase. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. That's uh, I went to Alaska about lose hmm, track of time four or five years ago and did a drop camp uh, Alaska uh, caribou hunt. And it, we I thought about that Hall Road and. Uh, was filming it for pure hunting and of course the big risk you have on those migratory herds is you're either too early or too late and you don't um for where you are and you may miss the opportunity so we went with a guy that had a uh, a concession that had much lower density of caribou but you knew that they were local and not migratory so you'd likely in five or six days have a at least some sightings and some stalking opportunities but i looked into that hall road and that's something i would love to do sometime just do you talk to the truckers and find out where they're seeing them so you know where you ought to be when they're migrating, or do you just – what's your strategy? Well, yeah, so um, the just learning about the caribou, they migrate – opposite of what you think so in the summertime they migrate you know towards the arctic ocean and all that tundra there and then um you know once winter comes they migrate back into the brooks range in the mountains and then they feed off all the wind-blown slopes up there because the the snow and the frost just gets so deep down on the tundra so they're migrating you know from that tundra up into the mountains that time of year um so you kind of know that they're going to be north of the brooks range and so from there like um i i just start cruising and glassing and and the nice thing is like um you know a, a drop camp is good if if you're in the caribou but you can't really relocate and a raft you can you can float down the river and lo- relocate but like you say those those caribou herds they're so big and the country is so vast that that you could float a hundred miles a river and never see a caribou if the if the migration isn't in there. The the haul road is nice to where you can drive that road and then grab different vantage points off that road and glass for you know miles off into the into the abyss, like into the tundra, into the foothills of the mountains, down in the river bottoms. And so you just start to catch them that way, and you kind of key in where the migration is at, and then kind of focus around there. 
and and then you can start you know hiking to different vantage points and looking around within that area but that's kind of what we did last season oh that it sounds awesome and did you see any bears either black or grizzly and or moose because i hear it's still just a game everybody goes there for caribou but it's a pretty game rich area yeah, it is game rich. Um, so we didn't see any black bears up there, but we did see two grizz bears. Um, we saw some muskox, and uh, yeah, and then just a bunch of caribou, um, and just some world class. Some of the ones you just dream about, you know, the giant tops and uh, you know double shovels, and and I, I was just amazed at the quality of that herd moving through. And you you get out there. I mean, the feeling of Alaska is so much different than anywhere else because it is just so vast and remote there isn't spur roads that go out or houses or cabins or or anything is it's just so vast for miles and miles you know and so you kind of feel like a big caribou could show up anywhere but yeah we did really well and saw a bunch of them and were able to get stocks and then i was able to harvest one i got lucky and harvested one and um so it's just a great trip so yeah we're looking forward to do it doing it again oh that's fun that's a ton of fun good for you we'll have a We'll be in touch, I'm sure, well before then, but that sounds like a great trip. I hope you do well. Yes, and again, it's just with good buddies, my good buddy Chase that used to live down here, and so it's it's always fun to hook up with him, and then um, you know he'll do a little video for me, and he'll have his bow, and so we can switch off when, when uh, one guy tags out, but yeah, it's, it's just a fun experience up there. That's awesome. That's yep. what it's all about. Absolutely. Well, and that... That tundra is so weird to walk through. Did you have a lot of that tundra where you were hunting caribou? Yes. Um, and as they say, a, a mile on the tundra is like three miles on pavement. I mean, it is the weirdest stuff and difficult to, to walk on. It's so difficult to walk on. And you don't know whether you should walk in the bottoms of it or on the tops, but neither way really works that well. You're constantly trying to solve the puzzle of it, and I don't think you can. I think it's just brutal no matter how you walk through it. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I, that was my experience too. Trekking poles seemed to really help. That that took some of the exertion off, just because you could keep your balance and it wasn't like rolling your ankles off or rolling your body weird. Like you were able to keep your balance better. So I, yeah, uh, trekking poles really helped us out up there. And and that's a good point. I think to anybody going, if whether somebody told you or you just take them all the time, you wouldn't think something relatively flat you would need it. You usually think of. At least I do trekking poles on, you know, really steep inclines, so you always have that third point of contact. But, yeah, if it's uneven terrain or squishy, just in case you don't trip or roll an ankle or something, that third point can be huge. Yes. Um, well, it, it just gives you a four-wheel drive, too. Um, it, it seems like it takes less pressure off your legs. So I use them a lot. I don't like to hunt with them because I don't like the, the clang off the rocks when they clang. So whenever I get in a good hunting zone, I always put them in my pack but for getting in and out of camp or packing out animals or like you said steep terrain um those things are a godsend absolutely yep i agree with you those collapsible ones which most of them are anymore they're pretty high tech just collapse them down to about 18 inches put them in your pack but they're always there if you need them yeah um and especially like you get that weight on you packing out an animal it would be so easy to hurt yourself in the mountains you know whether it's elk the heavy loads but climbing over deadfall and and then you know some of those mule deer in that steep terrain or like your goat hunt it gets downright dangerous where those trekking poles make it a lot safer absolutely yeah that year i had that mountain goat hunt there was um, unfortunately a mountain goat hunter who died just a couple weeks before our hunt and I know I know one guy who was good friends with him, but 
I think he was packing his goat out and his camp, and whether he had trekking poles or not, um, he fell, hit his head, and, and died. And Chris's and my whole mantra when we were hunting was, you know, let's be smart and live to hunt another day. You just don't take stupid chances, and uh, just be as prepared as you can. Yeah, that's that's horrible to hear. Yeah, um, gosh, I share that same motto with you guys: live to hunt another day. No deer's worth dying for, you know, and you. <laughs> It, you know, there there is some risk involved when you're hunting the mountains that you have to take responsibility for. But in that same breath, you just don't push it. And whether it's lightning, grizzly bears, steep terrain, you know, you just don't get in over your skill level. No deer's worth dying for. Live to hunt another day. Yep. 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 That, we had, uh, I had somebody reach out. I, you know, put episodes on YouTube at, at once I'm able to after it airs on the network. And, uh, I don't know, some guy reached out and called us a, a wimp or another name because we got off the mountain talking about the rain coming in and, and said, oh, a little rain's not going to hurt you. And, and you're just better off just letting it slide. But I thought, you know, if you've never hunted at 13,000 feet, it's not the rain. It's the electricity when you're up that high that you're worried about. So you see clouds rolling in. Be smart. Live to hunt another day. Those goats will be there tomorrow or the next day. But uh, I just got a kick out of somebody who just thought we were getting out of there because we were afraid of getting wet. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, and it gets so slick up there when it gets wet, too, up in those rocks. I know that spot I hunt, high country mule deer. I've hunted a a couple different units up there. Yeah, it's downright dangerous when it gets wet. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. And you never know if it's too much moisture. If a rock that was stable now all of a sudden has loosened up a little bit and what you think might be a good solid foothold, you know, that rock goes rolling down. And when you're dealing with 50 to 60 degree slopes, you know, a little slip and fall can turn into something pretty serious. Yes, absolutely. Well, and the, the, um, that, that scares me too. When you start uh, hearing those rocks starting to fall off those slides and things, you got to be <laughs> careful from that too, because yeah, one of those big rocks comes down, uh, you know, it, it'd be the end of you. And I, you know, where I really think about that is when you're, you and a buddy are in steep terrain, just really watching where your buddy is and whether you're going up or down, just making sure that you're not kicking a big rock on him or he's not going to kick one on you always being ready because yeah, I mean, one of those things as big as a basketball weighing 10 pounds if it hit you it could break your leg or or even worse that's right absolutely yeah there's a there's a certain amount of risk that we all undertake and i think that's part of what we enjoy about it but it's it's also just being smart yes um well your your safety you're relying all your safety on the choices you make and so you know it's like so many times in life it feels so safe you know that there isn't much risk and and when you're out in the woods it's just all on you out there. Like, um, it, it, it's all determined by the choices you make. You are in charge of your own safety, but there's no safety net out there. And yeah, it, it is something, one of the things that, that we enjoy about it, I think. But it, it's also too, you, you can't make those big time mistakes. You know, you've got to side on, on safety when, when you're given the, the choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Spot on. You bet. Yeah. Well, that. Um. Yeah. I. I keep remembering more and more of that goat hunt now that was filmed. So you and your buddy were successful with your bows up there, and yeah, it was up around thirteen thousand feet in Colorado. That was just an amazing hunt. And you said, um, something when we were talking about it earlier. Those, those goats, they just like the steepest country, don't they? The biggest, steepest, rockiest face. That's where where they want to live. I. I'm still amazed with them as a, as a wildlife animal, just uh, through my glass when Chris was making one stock on this herd. And I watched these two kids 
playing. And through my binoculars, you would have thought they were just playing on a football field. Because the way they were running and jumping and everything. And then you look, and they're doing that on a 45 or a 50-degree slope like it was nothing. They are amazing what they can do and how quickly they can move up and down some of those crevasses. Yes, uh, just effortlessly, you know, and they they do. They play on slopes that we could never go on, and I kind of had this, you know, I'd always seen goats when I was elk hunting and deer hunting, and then um, I was fortunate enough to draw a tag in 2013 in the Absorky Beartooths here in Montana, one of the, the biggest, most vast wildernesses there are, but there's a lot of goats in there, and I I drew a tag, and I just thought, well, I can go anywhere a goat can go, you know, steepness doesn't, doesn't bother me, or steep heights doesn't bother me too much, so... You know, I'll I'll get up there and I'll I'll harvest a nice billy, and there is no way I can even come close to some of the slopes they live on with ropes or anything. Like they they play on vertical slopes, yeah. They and they're just the the biggest rockiest like rockiest face that you know has a thousand foot drop. That's where they want to live is on those edges up there. They're just incredible. Yeah, yeah, it, they are. And it's when it was all said and done, and I came back, somebody reached out and congratulated me and said, you know, I've done that once and I'm done. And I said, well, it'll take a little while for that to wear off. I'm really thrilled with it. And I could say I'm one and done, but there's that little bit of you that if I give, if I was given the opportunity again, I, I know I would take it just because it is such an adventure. It is. Yeah. That, and that high country is so beautiful up there. Yeah. It is such a fun, huh? Well, you're going to be in a good state for that in Montana too. We have a uh, good goat populations here. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to everything Montana has to offer. Yeah, tons of extreme country, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, that's a it's a fun tag. I'm definitely not one and done. I just have to be lucky enough to get another tag. Um, I really liked hunting them up in those rocks. I think I did like three different trips up there. I think I had 11 days into it before I finally got one. I was able to get one with my bow as well. But um, oh my gosh, was it a difficult challenge. A lot of mountain climbing. Absolutely. Yep. I'm looking at my goat right now on the wall and every time I look up it just conjures all kinds of memories and sense of satisfaction and just knowing you like I said, the most challenging mental and physical hunt I've ever done and it's just great memories. Yes. Um you constantly have to walk uphill when you're gonna kill a goat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um they are such a beautiful animal with their white coats and I found that I could hunt them all day long too, which I really liked. But there again, it was kind of like that caribou where I just run myself ragged, covering country, trying to find a billy, you know, all day long. It it wasn't like a focusing just on the mornings or the evenings. I could hunt them all day, and then, you know, some of the more frustrating parts for me was seeing those really nice billies living on those big steep rock faces where I couldn't do anything about it. Or sometimes I'd see a billy, and it was like if I shoot that. I know he's going to roll down a thousand feet and going to be in pieces when I get down there. And so I'd have to pass on the opportunity or the stock or just living in too steep a country is I'd have to just sit there and watch and wait for them to kind of make a mistake. Um, did you guys run into that much or were you guys hunting faces that you um, could at least get up on? I know they were super steep as goats. They only live in steep country. But did you guys find goats that you just couldn't stalk? Yeah, we had a couple where we were like, well, we'll just kind of watch them and maybe they will move into a stockable area. But it was, there were some areas it was impossible. You just knew you weren't going to be able to get within bow range. And like you said, even if you did happen to, again, with archery, you know, it's not impacting their drop and they're going to run and, and they're likely going to, there will be nothing left if you've, it, it, when you found them. Yes. 
Well, I shot mine on the most gentle slope that I had hunted the whole entire hunt. Like it, you know, from a distance, it looked like it was just this grass basin. And I, I shot my goat and it ran down, I don't know, 40, 50 yards and then died. And, um, gosh, it, it must have rolled 500 feet down that hill and then tumbled over a little rock cliff. And I thought it was going to be in pieces after I shot it. And, and it was the best slope in all that country, the most gentle slope. And it still rolled down that far. So yeah, I think a lot of goat hunters have had that, that misfortune happen to them where they shoot a goat and it does roll down and ends up, uh, getting broken. And mine had a couple cuts on its face and, um, one on its back, but the horns were still intact. And so I got lucky on that deal. Fantastic. That's yep. great. Your guys, uh, I can't remember. Did yours died in a good spot or both of your guys's did? Chris's did. Mine, mine did not. <laughs> um, my shot, uh, it was a, it was 54 yard shot. And right as I released the arrow, he moved forward. So I hit him high and a little back, but the arrow did, it did dive down. So it got the lung. The problem was he went over a cliff where I couldn't see him. And of course there wasn't much blood. Um, and as we were doing all that, a storm was coming in. So we backed out, said we'd get him first thing in the morning. Well, then the fog was there in the rain and we tried a couple of vantage points and, and tried to look from across the valley and just couldn't find him. And of course, didn't know that he was dead at the time. We were just looking for a goat and be able to see what was going on, you know, blood on the side or whatever. But long story short, we went up to a different place about a mile away and got a, the angle and we could find him. I mean, dead. He'd only gone about 150 yards, probably 50 yards horizontally, but then fell 100 yards vertically and uh, was in a little avalanche chute. And he was, uh, he lost about two inches on one horn and sheared off the other just a, a half an inch or something like that. But um, was just glad to have recovered him and took him to the taxidermist. And I said, look, I don't want to make you to make him any better than he is. I just want you to make him like he was. And the guy did a great job. But the field photos were less than desirable. But there's lots of photos like that with goats because they do exactly that. Yes. Uh, you should have had him add an inch on that thing, Willie. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I remember now. So you and you got some some guys from town, some climbers, right? And you guys went back up with ropes to recover him because that storm had come in and dumped a little bit of snow, if I remember right. And then it was damp on the hillside. Do I have that right? Yeah, that was uh, mine. Was damp, and and we didn't have the need the help of those guys then. But Chris's goat, we did. Yeah, he left him. He. Um, he shot a nanny, he gutted his goat out and then we tried to go back and it was starting to really rain and snow. And so we left that day, came back the next day with a couple guys who were locals, um, had some technical equipment, had avalanche training, everything else and took us up there and found it. And we were sort of lucky cause it was, it had snowed so much and it was still snowing pretty hard that, um, even though Chris had it marked on his GPS, you're looking for <laughs> a white animal in a blizzard. And uh, fortunately, one of the horns was sticking up, so we were able to uh, to get it. But that was, again, one of those adventure things and worked out great. But um, that was Chris's goat that we recovered in the snow. Oh, uh, what an amazing adventure you guys had. And then to be able to capture it so well on film. I have to go back and watch it, Willie. What season was that from? Do you remember? Season four, yep. Season four. Okay, so you drew it right around the same time I did. Maybe that's why it resonated with me so much is because I had a, a tag right in there somewhere. But, yeah, it's, I still remember that episode. Yeah, it is such adventures in the mountains. And um, 
it's funny you, you get back and you go through all that and like you say you put a few years back and you're like yeah I'd, I'd do that again you kind of forget all the the bad times and how grueling it was and you kind of just remember the good times and the success you had and i think that's kind of all hunting that's all what we're we we look forward to but um it sure is fun to put that much into a hunt and then be successful it just means that much more to you it's such a, a lasting fun you have up there oh yeah absolutely and a hunt like that like you said um uh, you know, you may not get the opportunity for a long time, if ever. And, uh, and to, to look back and, and put the time in for, we made a couple of scouting trips and it, you know, it's a six hour drive to get down there. We scouted two times before that. And, um, I was coming back from an elk hunt and Chris went up a day or two before just to do a, a little, even though the season was going another last day scout before our hunt started. And, you know, those, those are the efforts that you want to put in to try to increase your odds of success, of success. And when you do come out successful, all that hard work and scouting and everything just makes you feel that much better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the more you put into it, the the more you get out of it. Um, yeah, bet. how cool. Yeah, it, I just can't wait for you know 2018 adventures to start and uh, start trekking around in the mountains. So it'll be fun. I think. Yeah, first up, we have spring bear here, which is a great season, too. They give us a couple months to hunt spring bears when they come out, and that's really fun, and so we're starting to get ramped up for that. But, yeah, it's um, it, it's fun that we have this passion in our life that we love to do so much and love to plan for and look forward to and share with friends. Uh, we're really fortunate that, that you have something like that or we have something like that. You betcha, and that's one thing that, of course, Colorado doesn't have is a spring bear season, which is unfortunate, so... Uh, I have been fortunate a couple times to hunt spring bear, not in Montana, once in Canada and uh, once in Idaho. And it, it really is something that's fun. And I just kind of fill my spring up unless I do one of those hunts with turkeys. So a poor man's poor man's elk hunt, but you are lucky to have that spring season up there. It's just a ton of fun to get out there. The weather's changing and the bears are coming out in those grasses. It's, uh, it's a fun way to spend your spring. Yeah, absolutely. And Montana's good too. We have so many color phases, which is really fun. The blondes and chocolates and and then the jet blacks and you know, light chocolate, dark chocolate. So yeah, they're pretty fun and they're one of the funnest animals to just sit and watch through a spotting scope. Um so yeah, I always really enjoy it. And I haven't been turkey hunting for the last few years, but I think I'm gonna go with a buddy and kinda get in on the action before bear season this year, like that first or second week in April. Um, kind of take our bows out and see if we can't get on a turkey. And like you say, the, the I like that, the poor man's elk. <laughs> if they could smell, they'd be even harder to kill. But it's it's a ton of fun interacting with them. And, you know, you can do it for a morning. It doesn't take a whole week like it does on some of our other backcountry hunts. So it's just a fun way to, to spend the spring and get out there and maybe a shed hunt a little bit or if you're in the right spot, maybe a wet a fly, you know, uh, um, on a river in the middle part of the day or something like that. So it's just uh, – that's that's what I've resorted to here in Colorado since we don't have spring bear. Okay, yeah, getting getting rid of that cabin fever um, in wintertime. You know, I enjoy the winters here, but I, you know, I ski a little bit, but I it, it's just not my thing, and I don't snowmobile. So by the time spring gets here, I'm ready to get out to the mountains. Perfect. Yeah, it's getting there. Yeah, it's 70 degrees here in Colorado today, so we're getting close. Oh wow, that's amazing! Yeah, nice day here in Montana too. So, um, well, Willie, when you get up here, we got to connect and go do something fun. Float the river, look for sheds, uh, go on a hunt, something like that. But uh, we have to keep in touch. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you in Bozeman. I really enjoyed our conversation today. I appreciate it, Brian. We definitely will stay in touch, and 
who knows what adventures we might be able to take on together. But thanks again for the opportunity. The hour's gone way too fast. Yep, you bet. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Brian. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, really fun episode with Willie Schmidt. Um, gosh, it sounds like his Pure Hunting TV is doing really well on the Sportsman's Channel and um, putting out some great episodes, so I can't wait to see what's in store for this season. Um, and, and just a great guy. He has a ton of passion for hunting and bow hunting. Um and just fun to sit down with these guys and, and have a conversation with them. And uh, so it's been really enjoyable for me, and, and uh, hope you guys enjoyed it too. Uh, sponsor for today's show, Everly Stock. Uh, just a great company, building great packs. Uh, again, trying a couple of their new packs this year, that Just One and then the Destroyer. So I'm really excited about those. And uh, they're just always coming out with new things too. So um, always excited to see what they're coming up with. But great company, great packs. Thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, yeah, over there at Eastman's, I got that latest article turned in here and just trying to keep up with the podcast. Um, and we're hitting our stride and it, it, it's really fun. But gosh, you, you really got to make time and and listen back to these podcasts. And even though you can't change what you said on a podcast or how you reacted, like you learn from that. And I think that's in, important in the process of getting better at these. So um, I've been listening back to them and, and just trying to put a, a lot of focus and effort into um, good guests and, and good conversations when I have good guests on um, engaging them and, and really asking them the right questions. So uh, it's it's been a fun journey. It's amazing. I think we're at... 89 episodes um i just can't believe it uh i'm gonna do another solo one here coming up so i'll get that one recorded uh, but yeah just it's been really fun it's been a fun journey um trying to improve and get better and um i just can't wait for this hunting season gosh dang it it's gonna be fun and and we're into spring bear now i've got my arrows all made up uh, i still got to get some gear together i didn't i didn't go out last weekend i ended up taking my dad fishing uh, we have so much snow here in montana and it was uh super cold and blizzard conditions and i thought oh well We'll just put it off a little bit. I, I like going early, and uh, I've been successful going early, um, but there is such a thing as too early. <laughs> so uh, I did not go out last weekend. But I'm going to have all my gear ready to rock and roll and start going at it hard here, going to some of my early season spots and hiking in. And uh, I'm going to record this next podcast. Uh, a lot of that will be on bear hunting. But it, it's just um, it's so challenging trying to, to harvest those um you know, we're all spot and stock in Montana and not that I begrudge any other way to hunt a bear. Um, but, but it just holds a special meaning to me when you got to travel miles upon miles and glass tons of features looking for that one predator. I mean, there's less bear than there are deer and elk, um, just because they are a predator. So when you can find one of those and then sneak up on it, you know, and, and stick a, stick a perfect arrow through it, man, that, it, it's just the ultimate to me. So the bears that I've harvested just mean the world. I love bear season and uh, can't wait to start getting after it. But um, I better be careful or, or this ending is going to turn into a bear podcast. So I hope all I hope all is well with you guys uh, working hard towards your goals. Hopefully you got some fun springtime activities, some shed hunting, some bear hunting, turkey hunting, whatever it is. Um, but go have some fun. Um, whatever's around you, try to enjoy it. And uh, with that, I'll check in with you guys next week.